Say it with me. Say, God set me on fire. God set me on fire. Sometimes we're nervous to pray prayers like that or we think, what's wrong with us? No, no, no. God's plan for you is that you be on fire. Amen. It was never his intention that we be born of his spirit, filled with his spirit, washed in his blood, growing in his word, and be lukewarm about it. That was never his plan. And I made a decision a long time ago. There are times in my services or anybody's services where someone's husband, someone's wife, someone's son or someone's daughter comes to church. And many times their family members have been praying and working for years to get that person to a place where they're going to be in a service. And woe is me. I mean it. Woe is me. If that person's one opportunity to hear the gospel and to hear about Jesus and the presentation they get is kind of lukewarm and ho-hum. I made a decision years ago. If anyone's going to come and visit my church, Gateway, then bless God, they're going to experience a church on fire. Amen. They might never come to church again. This might be their one and only moment. So my goodness, they're going to experience something hot. Amen. This is why I'm not going to compromise on letting God be God. Let his enemies be scattered. People do not need the enticing words of your my wisdom. We're not very smart anyway. They need the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. That's why we say around our church, passion gathers here. Amen. When people met Jesus, they met someone that was white hot. When people met Peter, they met someone that was white hot. The Apostle Paul was white hot. So much so they didn't care if the next word out of their mouth cost them their lives. They didn't care. They were so on fire. Paul said this, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. Heads I win, tails you lose. Devil. Be an irritating person to try and persecute the Apostle Paul. I was thinking about that the other day. Kill him and he comes back to life. Kill him again, he comes back to life again. Shipwreck him, swims to shore, saves the island. Bite him with a snake, shakes it off, gets everybody saved. Try and threaten him. They say, we'll kill you. And he said, being there, done that. Well, we'll let you live. Fine, for me to live is Christ. <laughs> what do you do with someone like that? What do you do with someone that's on fire? How do you stop them? How do you contain them? You can't. I love Reinhard Bonnke's story. He was praying. Well, he was in a prayer line. This lady came up and was telling him all the things that the devil was doing in her life. And the devil's doing this, and the devil's doing that, and the devil's doing the other, and he was trying to politely sort of interject and thinking, what can I say that's going to take, you know, just a little bit more than a prayer? This woman's whole mindset is wrong, and he's trying to think what he could say, and finally this analogy rose up in his, in his heart, and he said, Madam, he said, flies can't land on a red-hot stove. Amen. The devil's the lord of the flies, but flies never land on a fire. They never land on a red-hot stove. They land on dead, stinking things. So if you are being overly plagued by the devil, I'll let that analogy end itself. All right, come on, sit down for a minute if you will, please. 
Worship team, thank you so much. Ephesians chapter 5. Turn over there, please. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 18 says this. How many of you got your Bibles? You got a Bible. Wave at me. Okay, don't put the words up today, if you wouldn't mind. Don't put the words up on the screen. I want us looking at it. Wave your Bible again. I know John Osteen taught us to do this, but scare the devil a minute. Or your iPod or your iPad or whatever you got the Bible on. I don't mind if it's electronic. Wave it. Say this for me. This is my Bible. And I love it. I'm not afraid to use it. It's a sword in my mouth. So devil, watch out. Because I'm armed. And I'm dangerous. dangerous. You ever heard that old Carmen song? This will mean more to you if it does. And Satan? Satan. Come on. Satan? Satan. I don't know why you're all looking at me. You're supposed to be looking down. Satan? Satan. Bite the dust. dust. You know, the only space the devil legally occupies in your life, he does have a right to certain areas of your life. Do you know where it is? Six inches underneath each foot. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 says this. And don't be drunk with wine... Because that's success. But be filled with the Spirit. Everyone say, be filled with the Spirit. When it says there, be filled, the people smarter than I have discovered that this is the continual causative tense. In other words, it goes over and over. So this is not a one-time event. Any more than for an alcoholic, being drunk with wine is a one-time event. When you are addicted to something, you want it over and over. And the fact that you've had something once and never want it again is a little bit of an indication you're not hooked on it yet. Now, you might not be liking the analogy I'm using, but God started this. He was the one that drew a parallel between drinking wine and being filled with the Spirit. So let's run this out a little bit. The more you drink, the more of it you want to the point it can consume you. And it's amazing what lengths people will go to to fulfill that desire for alcohol. People will lose everything for not even alcohol, for that smelly stuff that comes in a can that you get rid of the paint off of your hands. What's it called? Turpentine? Turpentine. And you see people that have lost everything out in the streets and they're drinking turpentine out of a nasty old bottle in a brown paper bag And you're thinking, why? The Bible says, look, this is excess. It says, don't do that, but be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The more you encounter the Holy Spirit, the more frequently you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the more hungry for Him you become. And in fact, this concept of being filled with the Spirit or full of the Spirit is very popular in the Bible. Don't be drunk with wine wearing his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It goes on to say how? By speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Everyone say singing. Singing. And making melody. melody. You say, what's that about? Let me give you an indication of what it goes like. Hosanna, Hosanna. That's singing and making melody. Let's do it again. Hosanna, Hosanna. You don't have to chant like a monk. 
I'm not trying to be funny, but, you know, in the olden days, I remember when I was first baptized in the Holy Spirit and you went to charismatic churches, every time people sang in the Spirit, it sounded like this. <laughs> Let me try and do it without smiling. And there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't know, maybe they didn't do this in America, but it seemed like everybody in England, when they were singing in the Spirit, it went like this. Did you all do that? The little, like a, like a, the EKG, you know. Well, I suppose it shows you got a spiritual pulse, but your song, your melody can be a little more melodious. Let's do it again. Hosanna, Hosanna. What are we doing when we do that? We're getting full of the Spirit. So I take your time with it a little bit. We're in too much of a rush. I know when they write the songs down on paper, they don't write the verses out 16 times each because that would be bad for the rainforest. But when the Holy Spirit's leading you, you can do it over and over. And rest assured, when I'm here with you, I hold back. When it's just me and the Lord, I'll sing the same thing sometimes for hours. So much so that when we bought our house in Texas, we bought it specifically because it had a room that was about 60 feet from the house. And that, Angela said, as soon as we saw it, she said, fine, now you can do your praying out there. Because at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'd be singing Hosanna, and at 4 o'clock in the morning, I was still singing it. And at 5 o'clock, I was still singing it. What am I doing? I'm getting full. And you look at me and think, man, who's that lunatic out there singing the same song for three hours? I'll tell you who that lunatic was. That lunatic was the happiest lunatic on his street. That lunatic probably has one of the best marriages this side of the Mississippi. That lunatic has traveled all over the world preaching the gospel. That lunatic saw his first major miracle five days before his 17th birthday when he pulled a woman that was completely paralyzed from the waist down out of a wheelchair. That lunatic has seen demons run the opposite way in terror. So, my friend, with respect, I'm going to keep singing. And you can't stop me. And let that attitude grip your heart. I'm going to keep singing. I'm going to keep getting full. I'm going to keep praying in tongues. And I don't care who comes against me. Amen? This is the fire and this is the tenacity which needs to grip us. We've got too wimpy about things. The Holy Spirit will change your life. When you let him in, he'll change everything. Be filled with the Spirit. This expression is used a lot. Luke chapter 4. Turn there if you would please. And verse 1. When you found it, say amen. Luke chapter 4 and verse 1 says this. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit. Everyone say full of the Holy Spirit. What was Jesus filled with? The Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit to do the things he did, so do we. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, was what? Led by the Spirit. First thing you'll find when you get full of the Holy Spirit is he'll start leading you. He'll start leading you. First thing we want is his power. First thing he wants is our obedience. First thing we want is something spectacular. First thing he wants is something very simple. When I call, will you answer? 
When I say go, will you go? And Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And in that place, he was tempted of the devil. And you know the story. Verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. So he was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And he walked in the power of the Spirit. What I was talking about last night, I suppose, was a little bit more about being led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to you and talking to you in all kinds of different ways. I've been teaching about this and talking about it a lot lately. And so I want to share two stories that have come into me between last night and tonight. At my home church at Gateway, I've been talking about this a lot. In fact, this first year, first part of the year, on the Wednesday nights, I've been doing a big long series about the Holy Spirit. It's all available for free online. Go to our church website and you can listen to it. But there's a guy that emailed me last night. His name is Martin. He's a, he's a friend of mine. He goes to our church. And I'll never forget the day he walked into Gateway. He was probably one of the most broken men I'd ever seen in my life. He'd been in an abusive situation, and he was um, parenting uh, uh, his six, seven, eight-month-old little boy and trying to raise him by himself, and all these different things were going on. He was financially destitute. His health wasn't great, and, and he was depressed and, and just about as broken as broken could be. And I remember at the end of the service, he was just sitting in his seat, and so I went and sat next to him, and we got to talking for a few minutes, and he wouldn't look me in the eye. Not, I think, because he was particularly intimidated. He just didn't have the strength to even lift up his head. And so I'll never forget, I said, Martin, I said, if you will stick around, it won't be six months, and you'll walk in this room. Your head will be high, your shoulders will be up, there'll be a smile on your face, and you'll feel like king of the world. And he didn't say amen, he just kind of snorted and grunted and, and acted in disbelief. Six months later, thereabouts, I'll never forget, I was standing up there and he walked into the service right as we were starting. And there was a smile on his face, his shoulders were high, his chin was up. And God has completely transformed him. Some of his circumstances are still quite similar, but God has completely transformed him. Now, I've been teaching a lot about the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit, giving room to the Holy Spirit in your life. And so he emailed me when I got back last night from the meeting, there was an email from him. And he said, John, I've just woken up. Now, bearing in mind, England's five hours ahead. So when I got to the hotel room at whatever, 10, 10.30, it was 3.30 in the morning. He said, I've just woken up. I've had my first ever vision. And he was so excited about it. And he had this vision about some things that he saw God doing at Gateway. That's our church. And, some, and it was quite specific about some certain details. And so I emailed him back and I said, Martin, when I get home, I've got some prophecies I'm going to show you because I've had three or four, I think it's four come in in the last about 10 days, almost identical to each other, word for word. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit starting to get involved. We want these kind of things, but we've got to start making room for him and giving him an opportunity because we've been going about our own business too long when the greater one is on the inside and we've shut the door. And this is why my opening prayer Sunday morning was, God, kick open some doors. That's us as individuals. And kick open some gates. That speaks about the city. Amen? So I was excited to hear some of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I had a phone call. Are you recording this? Stop this bit, would you? Who is broken and haven't got two pennies to rub together and live in a, in a council house in Birmingham, England, or whether you're a billionaire. When you let the Holy Spirit in, he'll come and change everything. And from the whole scope of society, different nationality, different walk of life, everything different, but the same Spirit. 
So my friend, today has given me a fresh conviction. I don't know what your circumstance is, but I know what your answer is. And here's the thing about God. This is the way he works. I was talking with someone earlier. I forget who it was that I said this to. I might have said it several times. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. But, and it sounds like a riddle, but it's not. God changes the man or the woman. But God changes the man in the circumstance. Before he changes the circumstance, the man is in. So when you are facing a situation... We pray about the situation, God answers by changing you. This is why, a really clear analogy, if you've ever fasted for any length of time, you'll find this, while you're fasting, it feels like nothing particularly much happens. But when the fast has ended, all of a sudden it seems like all the things you pray about and anything you kind of point the anointing at just just turns immediately. We sort of think, why is that? And we've kind of begun to think, well, well, fasting, we sort of treat it a bit like a hunger strike. And by the end of the hunger strike, God feels so sorry for us, number one. And number two, he's so impressed by our devout sincerity, the fact that we haven't eaten for 21 days, and he thinks that poor soul, if I don't answer his prayers, he'll kill himself. That's not why the power comes after the fast. The reason the power comes after the fast is this. We are fasting about the circumstance. We're fasting about something we want to see change. But during that fast, God is not concerned about the thing we want to see change. He's concerned about us. Because we've all heard said many, many times, God has done all he's going to do about such and such. Jesus is not ever going back to that cross. He's not bearing any more stripes on his back. He's done all he's going to do about your healing. He's done all he's going to do about the devil. The issue is, we don't see that. We don't know that. We don't understand that. This is why when Paul prayed for the church, he prayed that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. The hope of our calling, the riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints. Paul didn't pray that we would have a hope or have a calling. He prayed that we would know what it is. And so when we fast and we seek the face of God... That's when we begin to see how he sees. He changes our hearts. He changes what's going on on the inside of us. He gives us revelation so that when we come out of that time of seeking and we pray, it's actually, and and hear me through with this, it's not even so much that, that God is suddenly interested in doing it and our hunger strike has impressed him so much, he's thinking, wow, John's really impressive. I better do something for him. It's that we suddenly realize there's something in me. And so the situation you're praying about, the thing you're praying about, you're not praying from the position of, oh God, please would you do something about this. Everything in you changes and you realize what God has done. So you look now at the situation and say, I command you in the name of Jesus. Two illustrations. Peter and John at the beautiful gate of the temple. Such as I have, I give you. We're expecting lightning to come and shoot them down because our prayers are more like, Oh Lord, in your great mercy and tender kindness. If you would deem to, I mean, my goodness, don't we do this all the time? Another illustration, my little boy, Levi. Cute as a button, adorable, great fun. Let me tell you what does not happen in our house. Here it is, 7 o'clock in the morning. Levi's allowed out of his bedroom at 7 o'clock. He's usually awake and singing by 5.15. He's very much my son. 
He goes to bed at 7.30, sings till at least 9 o'clock. He's always up by 5.15 to 5.30 singing. Um, there's a lot of music in our house. So anyways, here it comes, 7 o'clock. And so pretend I've, I've been up really late. I'm sleeping in. And, and I, I kind of hear this rustling in the distance. And I hear a, a, a click. And, and Levi's bedroom door is opening. And as I'm laying there in bed, it's quiet. Angela's still asleep. And, and the dogs are asleep. And, and I hear this kind of sliding motion coming toward our bedroom, you know, through the hallway. And I'm wondering, what is it? And all of a sudden, our bedroom door starts to open very, very slowly. And I look up, and I can't see who it is, because whoever it is is clearly crawling on their knees. And <laughs> I know it's Levi. We've only got one child. It must be him. And, and so he, he makes his way on his hands and knees to the, around the side of the bed. And he crawls up beside me and he puts one hand on the bed like this and he looks down and he says, Oh, Daddy, great, mighty, and excellent Daddy, how wonderful thou art. Daddy, I'm hungry. My stomach rumbleth. My needs are humble, though, Daddy. If I could have but one Cheerio from your great and mighty effervescent collection. What joy would fill my soul. Oh, dear daddy. Do you think that happens? No. Let me paint the scenario. Seven o'clock. I know it happens because my clock goes click. There's an almighty great thud as the bedroom door flies open. My German shepherd, Charlie, runs for cover so he doesn't get stepped on. Levi comes in the bed. He knows he's not allowed to jump on his mom, so he puts one foot on the edge of the bed at full speed, leaps over her, yelling, Geronimo! And... Boom! Dad, what's for breakfast? I'm starving. That's what happens in my house. Well, how often do we treat God that way? Oh, God. Oh, great benevolent God. If I could just but have one drop of your merciful tear. No, the Bible says come boldly before the throne of grace. Now recognize, the salvation we have, it's a gift of God. It's not, we can't boast in it. It, 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 It's given to us. The righteousness we have is from Christ. Everything we have, we have because of Him. But my goodness, He's given it to us. He's called us sons and daughters of God. Another scenario of this God changing you before He changes the circumstance. Here's Moses. He's just brought two or three million people out of Egypt, having a great day. All of a sudden, the world comes crashing down because the Red Sea is in front of him and Pharaoh's army is coming behind him and the people are starting to say, great. So you brought us out just to kill us in the wilderness. Wasn't fine. We died before this whopping great journey. You wanted to walk us half to death and now kill us. And so Moses understandably prays and says, God, help. And God does nothing about the Red Sea. And he does nothing about Pharaoh's army. But he does everything about Moses' attitude. And God said, Moses, you stretch out your rod and you part the waters. Had the waters parted? No. Had Pharaoh's army stopped approaching? No. What happened? God spoke to Moses. God changed Moses. My friend, and so Moses stretched out the rod, the waters parted and through they went on dry ground and we think, wow. I can guarantee you there are situations that we're in that we're asking God to change. And if we listen, the Holy Spirit would say, actually, I want you to do this. Actually, I need you to do this. Actually, pray like this. 
He leads you and guides you into all truth. And so God is more interested about the man in the circumstance than the circumstance in the man because he knows once he changes you, there's no mountain that will stand in your way that you can't move. There's no weapon formed against you that will prosper. There's no word spoken against you that will have any effect. In fact, the Bible says you shall condemn it because this is your right as children of the Lord. You'll quench every fiery dart of the evil one. So God is not so concerned about the things he's already defeated. He's more concerned about you and about me. I believe, actually making this a little larger, God is less concerned about the state of the world and more concerned about the state of the church. Because it's Christ in us that's the hope of glory. This is why the Bible says, guys, don't be drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. The first thing God wants to do before He brings revival anywhere is revive you and revive me. Amen? We're crying, God, do this. God, do that. God, do the other. What God wants us to do is open our mouth and drink. So Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit and returned in the power of the Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Go there if you will, please. Y'all still doing okay? We have put the Holy Spirit in a box that, believe me, He is busting out of. All over the world. He is busting out of it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place... And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting together. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone say they were all filled. What was God's plan? God's plan was to save the world. But what did he do? He first changed the people in the world before he changed the world the people were in. Am I making any sense? Before God changes the city of coming, he's going to change the church within the city. Before he fills a region with his spirit, he fills his people with his spirit. I'm way more excited about this than you, but that's fine. You'll catch up in a minute, hopefully, because I'm bubbling. Acts chapter 4. They just been threatened not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. This was not an idle threat. They just barbarously murdered and tortured Jesus Christ himself. They would have loved nothing more than to do the same thing to every one of his followers and stamp out any mention and any remembrance of Jesus once and for all. And so Peter and John worked this miracle, but because it was so well known, and the guy at the beautiful gate of the temple was, was famous... Everyone heard about it. He's going through the city, walking, leaping, and praising God. They feared the miracle. They feared the popularity. And so they said, we'll give you one chance. Don't ever teach or preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And so being let go, the Bible says they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They went back to their own and they started to pray. And they got to this point in their prayer. They said, now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant to your servants that with all boldness will speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal and grant signs and wonders to be done by the name of your holy child Jesus. So they needed really two things. Number one, they needed their persecutors to be dealt with and that persecution to die down. And number two, they were saying, God, we need to see some miracles and we need to see some power. The answer to their prayer was not God doing anything about the persecutors. And the answer to their prayer was not all of a sudden the Twitter world going crazy as there's miracles breaking out left, right, and center all throughout the city for unexplainable reasons. God's answer to their prayer was to fill them. 
Why? God changes the person in the circumstance before he changes the circumstance you're in. God will, God will fill you before he'll fill your city. God will fill you before he'll fill anyone else around you. So can I venture, we put a little less emphasis into changing everybody else and a little more focus into saying, God, whatever it takes, I'm going to get full of your spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse 5. Please. Don't mean to sound bossy. Sometimes you get a little carried away and sound bossy. This is the point where the revival is broken out. The church is growing to such a point that Peter and John are saying, we, we can't keep leaving the word of God and, and doing the administration and different things and serving the tables. So they said, appoint people full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, that we can appoint over this business. Everyone say, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and full of the Holy Ghost. Everyone say, full of the Holy Ghost. Full of the Holy Ghost. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're full of power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Full of the Holy Spirit, did great wonders and miracles. Notice he got full before the wonders and miracles started. Notice Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, before he returned in the power of the Spirit, before the wonders and miracles started. Notice that the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit before revival broke out and swept through all of Jerusalem. Are you seeing a pattern here? And then there's us, dry as old boots, pushing the Holy Spirit to the side in case he interferes or comes at an inconvenient moment or embarrasses us. Trying to do wonders and miracles and change a city. And the Holy Spirit is over here saying, Ahem. It's not going to be by might, my friends. It's not going to be my power. It's going to be by my spirit. Enticing words of man's wisdom. Not going to do it. You need the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and the power. And he's waiting for someone to say, Yes, sir. Here am I. Fill me. I empty myself. I give up trying to do it on my own. I'm tired of trying to change my husband, my wife, my business, my family, my city, my church. God, I am just going to open myself up and let you fill me. You lead me. That's how I want to be a son of God. You lead me. You direct my steps. Because he'll change everything. He'll change everything. My friend in Texas, five weeks. He said, everything has changed. about it. And it was doing all right before. Everything has changed. He said, the pressure has lifted off. Why? The Holy Spirit. My goodness gracious me. Let me tell you a couple of stories about people full of the Holy Spirit. Is all right? You got a few more minutes in you? It's only 8.30. There was a... What one says still? This is a good one. There's a pastor friend of mine from Japan. And uh, he's American. He's back, actually back here now. But he was a missionary in Japan for about 20 years. And he was over there when the whole kind of joy and laughter movement broke out. And he wasn't really very into it. And it wasn't his thing and whatnot. And so anyways, but he'd been trying really hard to build relationships with some of the local pastors. And it's, it can be difficult to build relationships in Japan because no one actually says what they really think. 
It's an honest society, so everyone says nice things, but you don't actually know what they're really thinking. So without understanding the mindset, knowing each other well, it, it can be difficult. So he'd been working really hard to try and build these relationships. And, and, and finally, to his delight and shock, one of the pastors in the city that he'd been trying to get to know and befriend and kind of get this ministerial network going said, I'm going to Tokyo tomorrow. Rodney Howe Brown is here from America, and um, I want to be in those meetings. You know, will you come with me? And he said, I did not want to go. That wasn't my thing. I wasn't into it. Didn't particularly believe in it. He said, but I've worked so hard to build a relationship that when a door opened for this friendship, I thought, well, I, I need to go. And so he said, they went, drove all the way from um, Kyoto, I think is the city they were in, to Tokyo. And so there they are in the meetings. There's a big meeting about, you know, two, three thousand people there or so. And, and he said, I'm watching what's going on. And he said, I know, I know the Japanese people well. He lived there, you know, 10 years or so at the time. He said, they're not particularly emotional, demonstrative, and that sort of thing. He said, and I saw things going on. He said, I thought, this is just not, not the norm. He said, and I know God well enough to know God's presence was there. He said, but I still wasn't very excited about it and still didn't really think this was my thing. So he said, anyway, he said, after the morning meeting, there was a luncheon, a kind of minister's, pastor's luncheon. He said, my friend had, had bought us tickets, and so we went in there. He said, I and Rodney Howard Brown were the only Westerners in there, and, and so they sat me across from him, thinking, oh, you know, he'd enjoy to make conversation, have someone to talk to. And so this friend, his name is Daryl Webb, he said, I was sitting there feeling really awkward. He said, there's hundreds of people in the room that would probably would have loved to talk to Rodney Howe Brown, and here I am, the biggest skeptic in the room, didn't really want to talk to him, wasn't very excited about his ministry, and here I am stuck opposite him for this meal. So he said, well, I wasn't going to be rude, so I was polite, you know, we made nice conversation. He said, I was... I was very impressed that Rodney Howe Brown is a very nice guy, and he is. I've, I can say I've spent some time with him, and he's a, he's a very, very nice, very gentle, very gracious, very humble, very funny man. So anyways, he said that we're sitting there talking. He said, and as we're sitting there, the meal is starting to come to a close. So I felt the Holy Spirit say, Daryl, I want you to take Rodney Howe Brown's hands, and I want you to pull them towards you across the table, and I want you to look him in the eye, and I want you to give him this word. And Pastor Darrell's sitting there thinking, no way. No way. This guy must get hundreds of words and prophecies. And he's not going to want one from me. He's just finished preaching. He doesn't know me from Adam. I don't even like his ministry particularly. And, and here I am supposed to give him this word. And so he said, I was sitting there just kind of stewing over this whole thing. So when Rodney looked at him and said, well, you know, it seems like something's up. What's on your heart? Say it. So he thought, well, I might as well go for it. So he looked at him, and he, he gave him this word, and exactly as the Lord had spoken it to him, and, and um, he said everything he was supposed to say. And, and Rodney said, well, thank you. That's really nice. I received that, and, and carried on eating his dinner roll or whatever he was eating. And so Pastor Darrell sitting there thinking, that didn't go how I saw it going. I didn't feel like there was quite the impact it was supposed to have. And he says, Lord, what, what went wrong? He said, I felt God say, I told you, take his hands pull them across the table, look him in the eye, and give him the word. You didn't do what I told you to do. Do it again. And so he's thinking, no. It was bad enough doing it the first time. I'm not going to go through the whole rigmarole again and, and make an even bigger nincompoop of myself. So anyways, as he's wrestling with this whole thing, Rodney gets up and says, you know, excuse himself. says, I'm going to go up to the, he's in the big conference center. So he was, his hotel room was in the same venue as the, as the meeting. So he said goodbye to the folks. He skewed himself and said, um, you know, it was nice to meet you. And off he went, you know, toward his room. Kind of went out a back door down a side corridor. And Pastor Darrell is there and he's just squirming. And he thought, well, you know what? I've already made this much of a fool of myself. 
I might as well, you know, finish this whole thing off and, you know, die now. So anyways, he said he was about probably 80, 90 yards or so, feet, whatever, behind Ron. He saw him go through the door, and so he kind of goes following after him, trying not to run after him so a bouncer didn't take him out. And um, gets, goes down this side kind of corridor, down the side of the building leading to the elevators in the front area. It's kind of a bit of a back hallway. And he said, as he turned around through the door, around the corner, he saw Japanese people laying all over the floor. And these weren't people that had been, maybe one or two were. These weren't people that had been in the meetings. These were the wait staff and, and, and hotel staff and cleaners. And, and they're laying all over the floor. And he said, there to walk in toward the far end of the, of the corridor is Rodney Howard Brown going toward his elevator. He's got the Bible in one hand and something else in the other. And as he's walking down, everyone he walks past is slain in the spirit. And he said, I stood there, and he said, my chin hit the floor. He said, I have never seen anything like this in my life. My friend, there is an anointing that God wants to bring. There is a, there's a release of his spirit. When I was 17 years old, I was in some meetings with Rodney Howe Brown in England. That's when I met him and got to spend some time with him. And he was talking about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and the demonstration of the Spirit. And he was talking about different ways the anointing could be transferred. And I'll never forget, he took his Bible and he gave it to this big guy that was part man, part elephant. <laughs> it's just a huge mountain of a man. And he gave this guy his Bible. And the minute the guy took the Bible, I don't know how big the angel must have been that threw him through the air. But here's this guy, you've got to picture it. He's standing this way, he's in the front row. There's a bunch of us at the front there. He's facing this way and it was like it was like something just punched him in the chest. And from standing still, he reaches the Bible. Boom! Back he goes. And you're looking at it thinking, how on earth? I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, and Hulk Hollywood thingy Hogan themselves couldn't have that same impact. Boom! Back he goes. And he must have gone from here to where that white pole is, through the air. And he's laying there on the floor, and he's just, he is just laughing so hard and so uncontrollably. And so Rodney Howard Brown comes to the next person. And he's, now he's talking about the shadow. The anointing being transferred through a shadow. So he kind of gets himself, his hand between the spotlight and the person. And he moves it over this man. And this man just begins, and I don't mean a little kind of, you know, giggle. I mean a deep, deep, like he's on laughing gas. Just immediately, out comes this deep, deep belly laugh. Lasts about 10 seconds, so he moves his hand away, stops like that. The guy's looking a little bit embarrassed, moves his hand back, immediately starts up again. He goes to the next person, talks about how the anointing's transferred through oil. And I'm going through my head, thinking all the different ways I know of from the Bible that the anointing can be transferred, and I'm counting the number of people, and I figured, uh-oh, I'm in the firing line. And so sure enough, he says, stand up, John. And so I did. And so he takes this modesty cloth and he wraps it up. He talks about Acts chapter 19, verse 11. And God wrought special miracles through the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought to the sick handkerchiefs and aprons. He said, this is a, a cloth. He said, I'm just going to release the anointing in it and watch this. And so anyways, I'm thinking, oh no. And I was not in the spirit at all. I was about as in the flesh as you could possibly get. And so he takes this cloth and he throws it at me. And it hit me in the stomach, and for goodness sake, it's a cloth. I mean, how hard is it, really, if you get hit by one of these? It's not, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't particularly hurt. This thing, it knocked me back, and I go running back like this, and I'm going across the room, and my whole body is trembling. 
And I'm doing all, my can, all I can to stand up. And I stand there, and my, these cameras are on me. I'm on the big screen, going like this. My mouth is trembling. My lips are trembling. And the only thing I can see is everybody kind of laughing at me, half looking at me, half looking at the big screen, and Rodney looking very cross. And so he walks over to me and says, why did you step out? I learned something that day. It used to be when I would pray for people, and they, the anointing would come, they'd start to step back. Man, I'd chase people around the church three times till, you know, finally get them to go down. And I say the same thing now. Don't step out. When the Holy Spirit's touching you, where are you going? Where could you possibly want to be? But right here. And so he says, don't step out. So he picks up the cloth again. He throws it at me. Whether I wanted to step out or not made no difference. I mean, this thing hit me so hard. I went down like a sack of potatoes. And I start laughing. And I'm laughing so hard. And I didn't want to. I did not want to. I was embarrassed. I was not in the spirit. I was not enjoying myself. But I'll tell you what. When I woke up, I had two things. One, stomach cramps. Seriously, I had stomach cramps. I pulled every muscle all around here. It hurt. I couldn't sneeze. Hiccup. For days, I was in agony. I mean, I'm making light of it, but seriously, I was in significant pain. I had that, and I had freedom. I had more freedom than I'd ever had in my life. See, I grew up very conservatively. My family was very conservative. I'm typically, typically British, stiff upper lip. We were quite well-to-do in the way we were brought up. I went to a school that was more like a military-type setup than a normal school. We had school six days a week. Everything was very prim. Everything was very proper. You didn't show emotions. And here God has placed a call on my life to bring the fire of God to the world. And I had more like an ice cube. And God changed that because he set me free. And I got up off of that floor with stomach cramps and freedom. More freedom than I'd ever had in my life. And I stopped caring what people thought and I stopped caring what I looked like and I caught on fire. And by the grace of God, I've taken that fire to 32 nations, to tens, probably hundreds of thousands of people, quite literally all over the world. And God got it to me, filling me with His Spirit. My friend, God wants to fill you. Every single person in this room, young or old, God wants to fill you with His Spirit. Because on the day of Pentecost, there was 120 people, and the Bible says in every one of them, got a flame of fire. There was a flame for every head. And there's a flame for every head in here today. Every single person, God wants to fill you with His Spirit. Say, oh, John, I was filled back in 1973. To which I say, praise the Lord. But are you still full? Or have you leaked a little bit in the last 20 whatever, 30-something years. Are you still full? He would talk about, oh, so-and-so, you know, they had this affair and whatnot, and their spirit filled. Not that day they weren't. No, 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 no. The Spirit of God sets you on fire. Flies don't land on a red-hot stove. You want to know the antidote for sin? It's not guilt. It's not being whacked upside the head by a condemning preacher. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit. He changes everything because He changes you. And all of a sudden, you're in the exact same situation, but rather than cowering in front of your mountain, and rather than talking about it, you rise up in the boldness and the power of the Spirit, and you say, hey, mountain, I speak to you in the name of Jesus. 
Move. Pain, sickness, fear, oppression, depression, dryness, apathy. I speak to you in the name of Jesus. And there's a river coming out of you. It's not just you anymore. There's a boldness. There's an authority. There's a, there's a conviction. There's a strength, a force. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And when you start releasing that, everything changes. My friend, do not be complacent about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. Don't be complacent about the move of the Holy Spirit. Don't be complacent about, about God speaking to you and working in your life. We need to be filled. Amen?